בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, שבוע טוב, שבוע מבורך, to everybody. Tonight uh, we're continuing our series of the Jewish Ashkafa. Tonight's shiur will be for a refuah shlema for Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Avi Mori David Ben Esriah, Doris Bat Jora, Rabbanit Ruth Bat Aliza, Shalva Mayan Bat Sarah, Liora Bat Liel, Rabbi Lev Leib Ben Rachel, שרה בת סאוסן, אורית בת אילנה, and also for הצלחה רבה for מרשה בת ג'ולי, איילה בת מרשה, סמיאל בן מרשה, ספס בן מרשה, אלכסנדר בן מרשה, לואיס בן מרשה, שאול בן פרזנה, יתרו בן אברהם, אושרי בן דוריס, גבי בן דוריס, אלעד בן דוריס, אמיר בן שאהין, and all of Israel and all of the righteous Noahides that continue to do the will of Hashem despite the difficulties that are out there. Uh, with that being said, uh, we have, uh, Baruch Hashem, a uh, lot going on. Um, for those of you that have gone on the Kiruv store, kiruvstore.org, and ordered some things, uh, and you haven't seen the uh, new USBs uh, and Holy uh, uh, Nation uh, books on there, that's because it hasn't been done yet. Bezot Hashem will try to do it uh, soon. It's just been a very, very busy and hectic time, to say the least. Um, aside from that, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, we have an event coming up in a um, in 10 days, Bezot Hashem, uh, here in uh, South Florida. For anyone that wants to come, it's going to be at a, uh, a resort called Bonaventura. For anyone that wants to uh, attend, uh, it's free of charge, but you have to RSVP. RSVP to uh, Leah at BeZratHashem.org. Uh, okay, so we have the uh, the Jewish Ashkafa, the Chazonish, has been uh, taking us on a journey, which Besiyat Dishmaya we've always been able to connect to the weekly parasha, to our uh, day-to-day lives, and of course, for anyone that watches our shurim, for anyone that monitors our channel, knows that there's been a uh, uh, topic that we've discussed uh, extensively over these last few weeks, a major tragedy that uh, will not happen, but may happen, uh, for all intents and purposes, looks like it's going to happen in a couple of days. It's almost, uh, from my perspective, it's almost like seeing the Holocaust coming and not being able to do anything about it. And um, I know that a lot of people don't see it that way. Uh, I know that, uh, unfortunately, most people don't see it that way. Uh, but uh, if you read enough, you learn enough, perhaps you'll see enough. Um, the, uh, the question that we have is, uh, where, where do we stand with everything? Where do we stand with everything? So, of course, with the Kenobakodes, let's start with the Torah. Let's see where the Torah leads us. We have uh, quite a few things happening out there, and Bezot uh, Hashem, let's learn a little bit to see where uh, where it could lead us. The last uh, couple of weeks, the Chazonish um, has been uh, teaching us about how a person should never waste their talent, uh, should never really uh, think that they're too old to learn Torah, too old to achieve big things. Uh, unfortunately. There are many times where a person uh, 
thinks that they perhaps they've uh, they've reached a certain age and therefore they can't do it but then perhaps uh, they get a uh, certain wind of truth as he calls it a certain spirit of truth in them where they want to see the truth they think they could do the you know they could do it they even have uh, some sources to justify that they could do it such as Rabbi Akiva Rabbi Yochanan uh, Resh Lakish you know uh, the um, uh, greatest sages we've had throughout the years uh, didn't all start off as from from birth uh, many of them were Rabbi Meir Balanes who was a, one of the greatest sages that ever lived didn't come from a family that uh, everyone was from from the time of uh, you know the uh, uh, they were all born he uh, came actually from converts who uh, started from the uh, Roman Caesar uh, who converted after he saw uh, what uh, what end will happen to the wicked people that go against Am Yisrael. The Gemara Masechet Gitin uh, talks about it. Uh, I believe it's page 57a. Uh, so now uh, we see that you know many people get that spirit, but then they get a Yetzara. What's the Yetzara? The Yetzara says, nah, come on. You're full of it, you know, don't don't think that you can do it. And then that Yetzirah appears and ruins all of that excitement. All of a sudden, the person starts becoming humble when it comes to spirituality. When it comes to attaining wealth, people are never humble. People always think that they're going to be uh, the millionaires. They're going to win the lotto. They're going to invent the next big thing. They're going to uh, find the, the, uh, the next big company. They're going to uh, win the next big case. They're going to uh, cure the biggest disease. People are very ambitious when it comes to materialism. But when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to uh, serving a Kadosh Baruch Hu and learning his Torah, suddenly be- people become very, very humble. And of course, this humility, the Chazoni says, is a flawed sense of humility. It's not real humility, but it's rather the Yetzirah. So how do we know whether our, uh, our good traits are good or bad? You know, whether we're using the good for good or we're using the, uh, uh, the good for bad. And that's, in essence, the next section. Chazani says, if a bad trait is bad, then a good trait being misused is even worse than that and an impediment. Because the teachers of Musab, the teachers of morals, have written much about every bad trait, explaining its faults and condemning it at great length, investigating remedies for, for it and offering cures for it in their treaties. But the damage caused by a good trait that is out of place is both painful and severe. Out of humility and sense of modesty, a person is discouraged from acquiring wisdom. How happy he would be have he been armed with uh, uh, armed in this instance with the trait of boldness and audacity when his conscience was berating him for having failed, for having left Torah, the pure source of life. So in this first section, the Chazonish tells us that yes, of course, we have bad traits everyone knows about bad traits people that are angry stingy arrogant uh chasing all types of uh, pride uh people that have uh, all types of uh bad traits that are out there 
And every one of us knows that there's a few of them that we ourselves have to work on. But he says, if these bad traits that everyone knows about, that the uh, teachers of Musal, the teachers of morals, our sages, whether it be Moshe Rabbeinu in the entire book of Deuteronomy, the ultimate Musar book, or it was Shlomo HaMelech in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, or it was David HaMelech in his Tehilim, or perhaps you want to go to the Oral Torah and you go to the Pirkei Avot. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, the sages took different Mishnayot from across the Mishnah that specifically talked about morals. And anyone that learns the Pirkei Avot will learn what true wisdom uh, you know, uh, is when it comes to behavioral issues. Now, there are many teachings that stemmed from them, that branched from all of these that I just mentioned, from the teachers of Musal, from Rabbi Yisrael Misalant, from the uh, Chovot HaLevavot, uh, the uh, Ramchal, and the, uh, all of his books, all of the teachers of Musal are constantly quoting the sources that I just mentioned as the foundations of teachings of Musal. And generally speaking, all of the, the, the main body of discussion that everyone is familiar with is the bad traits that we all have to stay away from. You should stay away from being stingy, stay away from being arrogant, stay away from uh, being a, uh, an angry, angry person, stay away from all types of things that are obviously bad for anybody with common sense. But Chazonish here is mentioning, yes, but there's also another side to the teachings. Another side to the teachings that our sages teach us, which is actually misusing the good traits that you have in such an extent that those good traits turn into something that's much, much worse than any bad trait you can possibly have. This Rabutai is one of the things that we're going to focus on because it wasn't because of anger that the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed. It wasn't because of pride that the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed. It wasn't because of stinginess and lack of donations that the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed. The exile for the last 2,000 years that we have has not been because of bad traits, but rather because of a misuse of good traits. Where do we see this from? The Gemara in Masechet Gitin, page 56 talks about this particular event, a well-known event, but perhaps only the first half of it. And the Gemara in Masechet Gitin talks about, in page 56a, talks about how there was a person that had, Kamtsa had a party. And, uh, I'm sorry, this person had a party, and he wanted to invite his friend Kamtsa. And he sent his servant to go get his friend Kamtsa and uh, invite him to his feast where he had all types of chachamim all big rabbis there all types of well-to-do people at this party and a servant misunderstood misheard or simply was clueless and went and invited a person with a similar name bar kamtza which chachamim say was actually the son of kamtza the only problem is that while this host was friends with Kamtsa, he was enemies with his son, Bar Kamtsa. 
And now this sun comes, this Bar Kamsa comes, sits at the event, is very happy that his enemy invited him. Perhaps he wants to make peace. Perhaps he's going to apologize for wronging me in the past. And he's sitting and he's chit-chatting with everybody and all of a sudden the host sees him and is shocked, asking, what are you doing in my event? He says, you invited me. You sent your servant to me. He says, no, 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 it's been a mistake. I meant to invite Kamsa, not you, Bag Kamsa. The son of Kamsa? No, I didn't invite you. Get out. Kamsa looks around. He sees all these respected people. He says, no, no, take it easy. Don't embarrass me now in front of everybody. Okay, perhaps there was a mistake, but I'm already here. Let me stay. I'll pay for the food. I'll pay for half the food. And the host, of course, is adamant about his position, completely vicious about it, in fact, and says, no, even if you pay for half of the event, I don't want you to stay. To save face, this Bar Kamsa says, okay, you know what? I'll pay for the entire event. What'd you spend here? 50, 100,000 dollars? You got it. I'll pay for the whole thing. Just don't embarrass me in front of everybody. Let me stay. The host, in his arrogance, in his disgusting nature, says no get out and this bar kamsa gets up sees that none of the rabbis that are there say anything and says to himself the gemara says since the rabbis were seated at this event and did not rebuke him the host for the way he treated me it's evident that what he did was acceptable acceptable to them. And I will now go and spread slander against the rabbis to the royal palace. And he went to go see the Roman Caesar. Here we see, Rabutai, a tragedy unlike any other, where yes, it started with arrogance, seeking kavod, but then you see that there was a solution available. There was a solution available there that wasn't utilized. The rabbis did not rebuke. Some say perhaps they were scared of the host, but that's there's no place in the Torah that would absolve them from such a crime. There's no place in the Torah that says that if somebody is, uh, you're, you're afraid that the host is going to kick you out too, then you don't rebuke. I haven't found a place. If anybody does, please show it to me. In fact, Rabutai, this Bar Kamsa goes to the Caesar and tells him the Jewish people led by the rabbis have forsaken you. And he says, what proof do you have? He says, as in the past, they used to accept sacrifices from the nations, but today they think who they are and they won't even accept your sacrifice, your highness. Of course, this angers the Caesar, but he wants to test it before he goes and annihilates a whole people he wants to test it he goes okay i'll send you a sacrifice let's see what they do and they bring he goes and he brings this sacrifice all the way to Eretz israel but before he gets there this rasha bar kamsa that's full of anger full of hatred full of vengeance he makes a mum makes a damage to the uh to the animal 
Some say he hurt the eye of the animal. Some say he cut the lip of the animal. Either way, he made a noticeable defect in the animal that is obvious and therefore makes the this korban, this sacrifice, really unacceptable. Unacceptable for the Jews, but technically acceptable for the Guim. But nonetheless, since he was the Jew that was bringing it, when he brought it to the Bet HaMikdash, everyone knew what was going on. Clearly, this is a guy, he's angry, and he's bringing this sacrifice, knowing that this sacrifice is not really an acceptable sacrifice. But the rabbis that were over there knew that this is, this guy means trouble, and they were actually considering taking this sacrifice, since it's coming in the name of the Caesar, and they don't want to have any problems with the government. They don't want to have any problems with someone that kills for fun. But then there was a big rabbi. A big rabbi named Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulos. Rabbi Zechariah ben, Av- ben Avkulas says to the rabbis, but if we accept this sacrifice from him, then the people are going to say that blemished animals are now allowed to be offered in the uh, Bet HaMikdash. Because even though it's coming from the Caesar, not everybody knows it's coming from the Caesar. He's a Jew, this Barakamsa. He's a Jew. He just brought a sacrifice here a few weeks ago, a few months ago. It's, everybody knows his family. They don't know the whole story that he's coming in the name of the Caesar. It's not like he's walking around with a big flag. So he's coming here. People are going to see. People are going to see this Barakamsa with the sacrifice. And everybody knows that there is a damage words gonna get around lashonara here there before you know it they're gonna eliminate the part of the story that says that he came here in the name of the caesar and people are gonna say oh so you see they accept his sacrifice when it has moon i'm gonna make sure that i'm gonna give them a sacrifice that also has a moon why why should i give them the perfect animal i could sell the perfect animal i'll give them the damage animal so this says no 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 this doesn't look good so the, the, the rabbi said, okay, rabbi, but listen, he's coming with vengeance, vengeance in his blood. If we don't accept his sacrifice, he's going to go back to the Caesar, and the Caesar's going to kill all of us. So now he has a din rodef. He has judgment. We judged him that he's a rodef. He's trying to kill us. So let's kill him instead. If we can't accept the sacrifice, surely he's going to go back to the Caesar, and then we could all, the Caesar can kill all of us. So since he's the one that's going to try to kill us, this guy, let's just kill him. Kill him before. We have a halachic uh, 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 permission to kill him. But then comes Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulas and says, no, 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 no. We can't kill him. Why can't we kill him? Because although we know that he's the one that damaged the sacrifice on purpose, which the Torah itself forbids the punishment for damaging a sacrifice is malkot, is whipping. Couple in the back, one in the front, couple in the back, one in the front. You know, give him a good time with some birth, uh, birth defects of his own that he got at the Bet HaMikdash. That's the punishment that the Torah dictates. But if we go kill him, what is going to happen? People are going to say, oh, wait, look at these rabbis. They're changing the Torah. They're changing the Torah. Instead of giving him a punishment of Malkot, they're killing people. For what? For damaging the sacrifice. So let's not kill him either. Let's not kill him. And this guy, Rabotai Karim, 
this guy went back and told the Caesar and the Caesar got angry as imagined says Rabbi Yochanan Anvenuto shel Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulas the the humility of Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulas in refusing to have Bar Kamtza put to death, destroyed our temple, and burned down our sanctuary, and exiled us from our land. Comes Rabbi Yochanan and says, This, this big rabbi, this Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulas, he was a very humble person. But he misused his humility. He misused his humility and his humility, which is typically a good trait, led to the destruction of our Bet HaMikdash. So how, where is this humility? Where do you see humility in this whole story? So Rashi says on the Makom, on, the, on this uh, Gemara, the humility in a couple of ways you could see. One way you can see humility where he really didn't want to paskin differently, even though the time warranted it. He didn't think he was big enough, even though he was one of the Gdoleador. He didn't think he was big enough to paskin on such an issue and kill this guy. Okay, he wanted to uh, give it to somebody else, but there was nobody else. And Allah says, The Mishnah says, In a place there's no leader, you be the leader. But he didn't want to be the leader. And the Rambam says, and if he, uh, one of, this is also a Gemara, that it's one of the destructions of the world, is when somebody has Torah and does not use it, has a position and doesn't use it, brings destruction to the world. So this is one aspect of it. Another aspect of it is that Rashi says that he had too much patience, too much tolerance to this Rasha Bar Kamtsa, and that tolerance, that patience led to the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash. Why? He figured, listen, he's a good boy. Okay, he's angry right now. Perhaps he looks like he wants to kill all of us right now because of what happened at that party a couple of weeks ago. But maybe it's going to pass. You know, after all, he's a Jew. After all, his father's a Jew. What if he brings the Caesar? He's going to hurt his own family. He's not going to do it. Let's give him kafschut. Says Rabbi Yochanan, sometimes you cannot have such judgment in your mind applied when everybody else's stake is at large. Sometimes you cannot use such judgment. You cannot give kafschut unnecessarily. Sometimes you cannot have patience. If somebody is doing something that's threatening people, this is not the time to have patience. This is not the time to have kafschut. This is not the time not to want to paskin. This is not the time not to want to be recognized, not to want to be uh, get attention. This is not the time. Why? Because you are now putting everybody else in danger. There was already a mistake that was made a few weeks ago when he got insulted and none of you rabbis said anything. There was already a mistake. Instead of correcting that mistake, what did you do? You made the mistake cost the entire Bet HaMikdash. Instead of the mistake only hurting 
the few people that were involved now this follow-up mistake which had the image of righteousness in it cost us the better midash now of course some chachamim say that the decree to exile Am Yisrael was already decided in Shemaim, but the decree to destroy the Bet Migdash wasn't done until this particular event actually happened. Why? Because Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulas misused a good trait that he had. Misused a good trait that he had, which as the Chazoni says, this is much worse than having a bad trait. Much, much worse than having a bad trait. Why much worse than having a bad trait? Because all of the bad traits, the Baalea Musa have written about them, have taught about them. They tell you all the different tools you need to have in order to overcome anger. They give you all the tools to overcome anxiety. They give you all the tools in order to overcome pride. And all of the other horrible things, extensive writing about all of it. Anyone that truly wants to overcome bad traits that they have there is a wealth of teachings that the torah has and our sages have for you to overcome these things it doesn't take a day or a week and it can't be done on one leg but nonetheless it can be done and it should be done and it has to be done as the gaumi vilna says this is the point of man to overcome these obstacles that you have which are bad character traits but nonetheless this is not the end of it all why because sometimes these character traits that look good that are good end up being misused and those misused bad uh, those misused good character traits end up becoming a lot more venomous a lot more dangerous than the bad character traits because a person doesn't even know he's bad because he thinks he's humble doesn't know that he's bad because he thinks that his 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 trait is good overall so therefore whatever he does with this trait is good but our teachers our sages say otherwise says the chazonish this person that used his good character traits of humility in an inappropriate way justified him not learning not advancing further in the torah and climbing a higher ladder all of a sudden he wanted to use his humility for the sake of not learning torah for the sake of not serving hashem even better why he says that had he had boldness and audacity chutzpah when his conscience was berating him for having failed Here, he has lived most of his life, and soon everything will be lost forever. And is he, uh, is, is, is in essence, what he's thinking. But in his, his imagination, though, he sees the raised eyebrows of some people, and this causes him to feel ashamed. And he cannot overcome this false image produced by his imagination. Here, this is another section that the uh, i have to clarify that when a person has this misused character trait he's looking at humility 
pride or whatever it is that it's a uh, trait that he has and he misuses it what ends up happening is that one bad thing leads to another one bad thing leads to another he thinks now listen i'm already too old to do this i'm already uh, i'm not big enough to do this i uh well, you know he's he's justifying doing bad by something good now one of the things that happens at that time is a domino effect is that his imagination starts developing and in his imagination he starts justifying his decision why based on what other people say thinking wait if i write the letter and i say that a missionary is not allowed in a synagogue or anywhere near the jewish people then everyone's gonna say wait a minute well, who is he to say such a thing what does he think he's the biggest rabbi in the world who is he to tell us that god said death penalty to mechalel shabbat who is who does he think he is what does he think he's rambam yeah but the rambam said it so what so let the rambam come over here and tell us who does he think that he's telling us that you're not allowed to bring an idol worshiper that missionizes on Jews into a Bet Knesset. Well, it's halacha. Okay, let the Rabbi Yosef Karo come tell us. Who does he think to do that? In essence, the guy is in, in his imagination. He's thinking, wait, they're going to say that if I say it's not allowed, they're going to say, oh, he did it. Oh, he thinks who he is. He thinks he's better than us. He thinks that he knows more than us. He thinks he's Rabbi Yosef Karo. He thinks he's the Rambam. He thinks this, he thinks that. He has this warped visual in his imagination of what other people are going to think as a result. And unfortunately, Rabotai, this visual is tragic. It's lethal. It is a nightmare. Why? Because it could turn someone that is a gdolado someone that is a giant in torah talmit chacham someone that's an amazing person that has the ability to say the truth suddenly turning that person into a balmum a person that has a defect he can't speak he can't write he can't see he can't hear he can't act nothing where's all your torah no my torah only belongs in my bet midrash it belongs in my yeshiva it belongs in my kolel yeah but your torah is also for am israel and am israel is in danger why don't you say something about this danger no it doesn't really have to do with me yeah but people from that community also listen to you people all over the world listen to you when you give a lecture when you sell a book you don't only sell the book in your community you don't only give the lectures in your community you give it for the worldwide jewelry why all of a sudden when it comes to warn a different community suddenly you can't do it oh because they're gonna think who is he to tell us what to do in our community how come you didn't think that when you wrote the book and you decide to sell it on an internet that goes to every community in the world you see Rabotai, what ends up happening is that humility of thinking what are people gonna think of me is 100 percent yetzer yetzer is the evil inclination why even inclination gonna tell you stay humble humility is good Moshe Rabbeinu was humble. Yeah, Habibi. 
When was he humble? Was he humble when Korach came next to him? No, he wasn't humble when Korach came to him. When Korach wanted to fight, Moshe Rabbeinu told everybody, stay away from these wicked people lest you die with them. Why? There's a time and there's a time. There's a time and there's a time. And when a person misuses a good trait, it is much worse than anything else. And unfortunately, we are seeing this with our own eyes. We are seeing this with our own eyes where people that are of big stature, big tamidei chachamim, big positions, well-known, scared to talk about major issues. Why? What are people going to think? What are people going to think? This, unfortunately, Rabotai, is a tragedy. It's a tragedy that we lost the Bet HaMikdash on. Now, don't only think that this is only referring to big people like the Doleado. I'm talking about even big people that have their own synagogue. Big people that are leaders in their own community. Big people that are known on the internet, known in the world wide web, known in the, in the Jewish communities. If you say their name, you're going to have a few people know who these people are. They too have a position of influence and they too many times are scared to utilize this position of influence for the sake of rebuking. Why? Chash v'shalom they'll create a machloket. Oh, we don't want machloket. We want peace. Yeah, everybody wants peace. But fake peace? Fake peace like with the Palestinians? That's what we want? We want fake peace until they shoot rockets at us? Want fake peace until they invite Christian missionaries into our synagogues? That's the peace we want. That's the peace we have. You see, Rabotai Karim. Here we have a good trait being misused across the board, unfortunately. People are scared to give their opinions many times. Or worse yet, sometimes the big rabbi, and this too I was a witness to in the last few weeks, and in the past also, but more so in the last few weeks than ever, I've, I literally saw with my own eyes. I spoke to one of the Gdoleado. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm not going to say the name. I spoke to one of the Gdoleado. I don't know. Hashem gave, gave me some type of merit. I spoke to him for 20 minutes. I honestly don't know if anybody that he's ever spoken to, he spoke to for 20 minutes. I spoke to him for 20 minutes. He told me, you're 100% right. I have to sign this letter. I have to sign this letter. Send it to me. I'm signing it. I said, can you sign it today? He said, it's right before Shabbat. I'll sign it on Sunday. No problem. Come Sunday, missing in action. Who picks up? All the helpers. No, no, he's not going to sign. What do you mean? But he told me he's going to sign. The Gdolado doesn't change his mind. What happened? What happened? Did it stop? Oh, no, no. We need somebody else to sign. Rabotai Karim. What happens is sometimes the helpers, the, the, the whoever else is around, they decide that he needs to be humbler. He needs to be smaller. He needs to not do this and not get himself involved. Why? It's not his business. Yeah, but he said it's his business. He said he should do it. He said he's going to do it. How are you there to decide for him? 
Oh, you know, he's this and he's that. Oh, how come when it came to building a new yeshiva or a new building or a new campaign, he wasn't this or that or the other thing. When you needed a signature to raise money, when you needed a signature to do something for something else, there was no problem getting it. He was able, he was capable, he was doing everything. But suddenly when it comes for the sake of saving Amisrael for missionaries... All of a sudden, we have humility, and not even humility from the person itself, from somebody on his behalf. Greatest, greatest trait in the world, have humility for somebody else. This is like the most bizarre thing you're ever going to see, and I've seen this too. And not with one, but two gdoleado. Not one, but two. Why? Rabbi Karim, this is something we've had already for thousands of years. Elisha Navi. Elisha Navi was one of the most the greatest prophets we ever had. He too had a Gehazi. Gehazi who lost his Olamaba and got cursed for eternity. Was a Gabai that knew a lot of Torah, that knew a lot of good things, but he got in the way. He got in the way and therefore he lost eternity. Unfortunately, many people think that they know better then the big rabbis they serve they think they the big rabbis are big rabbis only in certain things but not in everything they know better this rabotai is also a false sense of humility a false sense of 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 a lot of things all types of so-called good traits they're all coming from a good place the road to hell is full of good intentions and lots of footsteps unfortunately rabotai here this person has in his imagination has in his imagination what the eyebrows of some people are going to uh, how are they going to be raised how are they going to be raised how is he doing this is he does he know what he's doing does she know what she's doing how is she making such a statement does she know what she's saying does he know what he's saying yeah we read it we saw it we we did it what's the problem yeah but you're not a rabbi so how could you say such a thing yeah, but you're not a, uh, you know, a, a, a gdola dosa. How could you say what you're saying? Yeah, but you're not a man, so how could you say what you're saying? Yeah, but you're not a woman. How could you say what you're saying? Everybody's got a r- different reason of why you can't say what you say. You're a rabbi. You're not a rabbi. You're this. You're that. Everybody has their opinion, especially when those people are only found inside your imagination. Now, surely those people are found in real life. The Yetzirah has many soldiers, but the first soldiers that he sends are the ones that are inside our mind. Those are the first soldiers that he sends, the imaginary soldiers. And this person cannot overcome this false image produced by his imagination. But a bit of chutzpah and audacity, azut, and he will see things right. What are the thoughts of a mortal human being? They fly away like a dream, says the Chazonish. Why should you yield in the face of another person's assessment? Why shouldn't you yield when faced with endless shame that threatens you if you remain empty, laboring futility and born for naught? Fortify yourself, Ben Adam. Clothe yourself in courage. Energize yourself and set about studying Allah vigorously. In so many words, the where he's applying it to learning of halacha we're applying it to everything really 
The Chazoni says, the only reason why you justified in this particular example, not growing further, not aiming to be the biggest rabbi in the world, not aiming to be the best, best Talmud in your yeshiva, not aiming to be the best everything, whatever you want to be. The only reason why you did that is because of your imagination. All of a sudden you decided to be humble. All of a sudden you decided that you can't do. All of a sudden that you are like almost you've turned yourself into a defect not because you're actually defective but rather because you're ashamed of what people are going to say about you all of a sudden you're no longer opinionated you have a lot of opinions but you don't want to express them anymore this rabotai this imagination causes a person that can be a giant influence a giant contributor a giant in 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 in, in good things and turns that person into a negative influence turns that person into evil why because as we saw in the story in the Gemara in Masechet Gitin the Kamtsa Bar Kamtsa story those rabbis that saw the evil happening between this the host and Bar Kamtsa they didn't say anything that in itself that evil that quiet that they they stayed at that 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 fear of rebuking him that started the path that started the journey for even greater evils which eventually culminated with the destruction of the Bet Migdash. so a person staying quiet and thinking no I'll stay quiet and somebody else will take this job is not a good thing why if HaKadosh brought it to your desk then it's your job if HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought it to your screen, then it's your job. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought it to your community, then it's your job. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought it to your mind, then it's your job. How much you'll succeed, how much you'll fail, that all is decided by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Don't let your imagination decide that for you. Don't let your imagination decide that for you. Many times, when it's for materialistic uh, uh, aspirations we don't let the imagination stop us from anything we only let the imagination allow us to succeed in our imagination we're all uh, positive we're all very very uh, uh, successful we're all optimistic you know i'm gonna buy this lotto ticket i'm gonna win at least the grand prize at least maybe even two grand prizes I'm gonna apply for this job and I'm gonna get at least the job that I want plus 50%. Not uh not get a job. I'm going to uh you know uh take this test, I'm gonna get at least 90 out of hundred, maybe even 95. I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna succeed. When it comes to materialism, we all have success. Why? The world tells you be optimistic. But when it comes to the spirituality, when it comes to servitude of a kadosh all of a sudden everybody's humble you tell the guy listen you think you can finish the shots this year this year or this lifetime no no this year this year can you finish the shots this year no i never finished the shots in my life i know you didn't finish the shots in your entire life but can you finish it this year all of a sudden no it's too much it's too little okay can you finish one masechet one masechet maybe every month oh too much it's this it's that how about this? Can you finish one Masechet the whole year? The whole year? One Masechet. Pick anyone you want. Go Masechet Megillah. It's for like a little baby. Why don't you go do that? I'll try. How come if when I asked you, you want to do this million dollar deal even though you don't have any money? 
you said for sure you didn't even think about how you're gonna pay for it but when i said finish the masechet that's for a little baby all of a sudden you're not so sure what happened what happened when i asked you what do you think about getting into this hotel business maybe we can buy this hotel you said you know what for sure you don't know anything about hotels in fact the only thing you know about hotels is how to steal their towels but when i tell you why don't you go tell the rabbi that he shouldn't bring the missionary to shul you said nah i don't know i don't know anything about being a rabbi i don't know anything about being a rabbi i don't know if i can tell the rabbi how to be a rabbi yeah but you do know that the missionary is not good for you right yeah i know that the missionary is not good for you so you do know the missionary is trying to make you not jewish right yeah you do know he's gonna try to do the same thing with everybody else right yeah okay so what else do you need to know uh, and that's what happens when it comes to servitude of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, everybody is all of a sudden humble. Humble. Very humble. HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes to us. And he's going to come to us. And he's going to ask us. You did a lot of things for your honor. To go start a hotel business, you did. To go start a car business, you did. To go invest in all types of Bitcoin, Schmidtcoin, and all types of other mumbo-jumbos, you did. To go do all types of things, you did what about when you were asked to defend my honor how about that when did you defend my honor when uh that's what's gonna happen Rabutai. that's what's gonna happen Rabutai. many people are asking this question many people are asking this question what should we do what should you do cry foul to every single place you possibly can that's what you should do you should lose your mind if you live in that community unfortunately Rabotai, not enough people are losing their mind people are angered people are worried but not enough people are losing their mind i got a couple of letters i got a couple of letters to read to you i got more but i got a couple of letters to read to you one was was sent to our dear friend and rabbi rab mizrahi person that lives in the community says I listen to your lectures and I go to the Boca Raton synagogue what should we do as a community to fight against this travesty that's going on with Pastor Mario Bremnik so far it seems like most people in the community are angered by this wicked decision especially my father who has firsthand seen his relatives kidnapped by the church and Christian missionaries and they themselves became missionaries it is a big pain my father lives with can you please speak against this vile act we in the community are powerless to stop it please get the biggest rabbis in america involved if you can here you have a concerned jew that lives in a boca raton community crying out for help not because of your own reuven not because of some fanatic no he's crying because he has blood on his hands that he saw his own family spiritually murdered by the church by the very same people that are being invited into the boca raton's community and when he went to the synagogue leadership nothing what and he said he's not alone other people are angered by it but no one can tell Ephraim goldberg what to do why Ephraim Goldberg eh, he's a Mara de Atra he calls himself Alik he calls himself Mara de Atra 
He's the head rabbi. And he says he even spoke to Rav Shechter. Truth is, I spoke to the person who spoke to Rav Shechter. Who knows exactly what happened in the call. And Rav Shechter doesn't know a clue of what's happening in Boca Raton Synagogue. How about that? Not a clue. Not a clue. Unfortunately, it's very hard to get Rav Shechter on the phone. But if Rav Shechter knew that he's bringing an evangelical Christian missionary into the community, I bet my life, my life, and my Olamaba, that he would say something. Why? Every normal Jew has to. Every normal Jew has to. Except if that normal Jew is Ephraim Goldberg, who doesn't uh, think the rules apply to him. Another Jew from the community says, Hi, I live in Boca Raton, and I'm very disturbed by the event that's planned on taking place in BRS with this pastor. From what I understand, he was a born Jew, and I'm trying to get people in influential positions to say something. He's showing extraordinary concern. There are people are extraordinarily concerned, and we need more information. Oh, Hashem, we sent the information. These people are concerned. Why are they concerned? Because every one of them only sent the emails after they went to Ephraim, after they went to the other leaders. And they were shut down, ignored, told everything's going to be okay, told you don't have to come if you don't want to. All types of answers that really don't help anybody. Don't help anybody. Why? Because Ephraim believes that he is a uniter. He is an innovator. He is someone who knows better. Well, guess what, Ephraim? Your arrogance can destroy not just your shul, but all of American Judaism. In the next couple of days, Rabbi we will either see an end of an era an end of an era and a beginning of a new one, or we're going to see the leaders of Am Yisrael, whether it be the rabbis or it be the people, show who they really are. In the next couple of days, we're going to see what we're all made of. I've done everything I could. I've cried, I've prayed, I've brought proofs, I have enough proofs to make a whole new series. That these people are dangerous. That these people are evangelical Christians are not looking to be your friends. I've called. I've lost sleep. I haven't been able to see my own family even though I work out of the house. Everything I can possibly do, I've been doing. Instead of getting help from some people all i've been getting is insults abuse mocking all types of comments even the people sometimes that were supportive and said oh this missionary event is dangerous you shouldn't do it but they told him listen but that your own reuven ah eh? what's have to do with anything it came for me it came from a donkey did i say anything wrong because they don't like my personality, perhaps they don't like my hairdo, not really sure what, they decide they're not going to speak. Why? Because of this or because of that. All types of stupidity. 
I've seen the worst in the last few weeks, Rabotai. I've seen the worst in people in the last few weeks. And unfortunately, the few diamonds that I've met and the few diamonds that I've seen shine in these last few weeks have not been enough to stop this event. It's not been enough. Why? Because unless the community itself, unless the Jewish community at large, inside Boca Raton and across the world, acts on this, stands for this, nothing will happen. And the face of Judaism will be changed in the next two days. It will be the end of an era. The end of an era that we're all going to regret ended. What era is that? The era where it was wrong to bring Christian missionaries to a synagogue. You see, Rabotai Kareem, what you don't understand perhaps, and what Ephraim doesn't understand, and what a lot of people perhaps don't understand, is that this event means a lot more than what it looks like. It has nothing to do with uniting for Israel. Anyone that looks at the Luzan occasional paper produced by the Issue Group, it's an evangelizing organization. There was a meeting in 2004. They have a 70-page paper about what evangelization is supposed to be, specifically when it comes to Jewish people. They give an entire definition, entire clarification of why evangelizing Jewish people has to be the number one mission for Christianity. Number one simplest reason for all of us to understand is that their belief is if Jesus is not the Messiah of the Jews, then he's also not the Messiah of the Christians. There cannot be what the Jews believe that they have their Messiah and we can have ours perhaps. No such thing. There is only one Messiah, just like the real Jewish belief is. There is only one Messiah. Only we believe that our Messiah is the righteous Orthodox Jew Messiah that is going to eliminate all other foreign believers, all the people that believe in a different Messiah, all the people that believe in a uh, wicked things and idolatry and so on. Guess what? The Christians believe the same thing, but in their idol. They believe that Jesus has to be the Messiah of the Jews. Not he should be, not he could be, he has to be. Why? If he's not the Messiah of the Jews, then he's not Messiah at all. Not for the Christians either. And therefore, this forum, this organization, specifically detailed for everyone to have a universal belief of why the evangelicals have to target Jews. Because in order for them to get their salvation, according to them, we have to be part of it. And of course, there are many other stupid beliefs that they have. But nonetheless, this is the primary one. You see, Rabotai Karim, Mario Bremnik is one of those people. He's an evangelical Christian who himself says he's been at Boca Raton Synagogue in the past, as I've said. At least one time he was at Boca Raton Synagogue as he leads the Pastor uh, Net- Broward Network, Broward Pastor Network. So he was in, pa- he was in 
the Boca Raton synagogue at least once. I mean, the way he sounds and the way he speaks about it sounds like he's been there more than once, like it's a second house almost. But nonetheless, this very same Michael uh, Mario Bremnick hangs out with powerful missionaries. Missionaries, some of them are also Jews just like him, halachically, that went into Christianity and made it their life's mission to hunt Jewish people and bring them to Christianity. He also goes and he connects with and he learned from a very well-known Christian missionary that has something like 3 million followers, one of these uh, mega church people, Maldonado, that literally has millions of followers, zillions of dollars, endless resources, and all of them discuss openly, without any shame, and in fact, with a lot of zeal and pride, how the number one target of their life's work is to convert the Jewish people to Christianity. When we had him at Boca Raton Synagogue uh, with Rab- Rabbi um, Goldberg, um, we had a great time with him. There's so many things going on. We see the Jubilee year coming. Yes. The Semitic years coming. Yes. What does it have to do with Israel? Israel is very important. It's at the center of God's heart. Uh, everything started in Israel. It's now culminating with Israel. I really believe God is about to move. He's moving supernaturally, and God's move has to do with Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the glory of the Lord fell. I, I, I was in uh, the church with you when the glory fell several years ago. And the Lord spoke to us. God is pouring out his glory upon the church to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. Paul said in Romans 9, the glory belongs to Israel. Solomon saw the glory. Uh, um, David cried out for the glory. And I think that it, it, God is pouring out his his presence. In other words, we need to listen to the signs and the four mm. blood moons, but this is our greatest hour. In the midst of darkness and deep darkness, arise and shine, for God's glory is about to be poured out upon God's people, and I believe it's going to be a sign to Israel. You see, Israel has Judaism, and it's, that's a beautiful religion. They don't need religion. They need the reality of a living God who's working in signs, wonders, and miracles. Mm. Jews yes. ask for a sign. Yes. Mm-hmm. We are living in a convergence. Mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. loves mm-hmm. Israel. It was God's firstborn. God's covenant with Israel never ceases. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an irrevocable right. covenant that was given by God with uh, the nation of Israel, Jerusalem, as the undivided capital of Israel. And just as God made a covenant with the church, and I think there's a convergence of the Jew and Gentile as the one new man in this day. We're really in the birth pangs of the Messiah. Even the Orthodox community is feeling that the Messiah is coming back soon. And we're feeling those birth pangs as well. But as we conclude this segment from South Florida, from the United States of America, joining with our brethren throughout the world, we will not be silent. They're not ashamed of their job. In fact, one of the primary things that you will see not just on Mario Bremnick's website, but on the Luzanne paper and on the evangelical websites is that you have to be proud of the fact that you're preaching the gospel. Proud of the fact that you're preaching the gospel to the Jew. Proud of it. 
Don't be ashamed of the gospel because Jesus wasn't afraid of it. Jesus was proud of it. Jesus actually uh, preached it to the Jews according to them. They believe that this is saving the Jews. They feel like they're helping the Boca Raton synagogue. That's why any effort to talk to these missionaries, first of all, is forbidden. You're not allowed to talk to these people. They're dangerous. Second of all, it's a complete waste of time. It's like going to Rav Kanievsky and telling him, listen, Rabbi, I don't think you should learn Torah anymore. Why? Because the lefty liberals are being are offended by your Torah learning. Is that going to do anything? No. It's like going to a world expert in any field and tell him, you know what? I don't think you should do that anymore. Why? I'm offended by it. This is ludicrous. To think that you can talk to the missionaries and tell them not to missionize is the most ludicrous, naive thing in the world. But guess what? There's another thing that the Boca Raton synagogue community does not realize. The most dangerous missionary in this event is not going to be Mario Bremnick. Guess what? The most dangerous missionary in this event is not even going to be Ephraim Goldberg. You know who the most dangerous missionary in the event is going to be? The most dangerous missionary in this event, if it happens, is going to be in the crowd. That's who the most dangerous missionary is. The audience. You see, Rabotai, what the fools that choose to be fools, the blind that choose to be blind, don't want to see is the fact that this event is open to the public. And within a matter of seconds, for the first time in Jewish history, a so-called Jewish event sold out in a matter of seconds. Over a thousand people are expected to attend this event, probably closer to 2,000 people. And guess what? They're not all from that community. Many of them are Christian evangelical students of Mario Bremnick and his friends. You're going to have hundreds of missionaries in the crowd. Regular average people, some have car shops, some are uh, working at a, uh, you know, in, uh, uh, plumbing, some are delivering mail, some are this, some are that, but they're all missionaries. Why? To be a religious Christian, you have to be a missionary. When you're an evangelical, you're a missionary specifically for Jews. What people do not understand is that the most dangerous missionaries are typically not on the stage. They're the ones that are the personality that bring everybody together. But the real missionary work is done by the so-called friends you meet at these events. Hence the reason why the Luzanne occasional papers say that the plan of attack to missionize the Jews is not to just give a speech, but also to have all types of events specifically target the Orthodox community during the high holidays by giving food and all types of things away so the Orthodox community will welcome you. Do all types of things to welcome the Jews. 
to bring them in and befriend them. Why? Once you befriend them, they'll go on a mailing list, they'll go on a newsletter list, they'll even give you a phone number. You can call them, you can visit them, and before you know it, Hashem Yishmol V'yatzil, you have a Jew that became a Christian. That's what happens. You see, Rabotai Karim, the guy on the stage, the personality, the one that has 3 million, 5 million followers, the mega church with a quarter million people showing up every Sunday, he's not the guy that's going to call you and say, listen, you got to believe in Yoshke. You know who it's going to be? It's going to be the guy that invited you to that event, the guy that you're sitting next to, the girl that you're sitting next to. He says, you Jewish? Oh, me too. But you know, I believe in Jesus. Let me tell you why. And before you know it, you believe in Jesus too because you're an idiot and you don't realize you've never learned the Torah, but you've learned the New Testament instead. This is how missionizing happens. I know this firsthand. The world experts that I deal with know this firsthand. Some of them used to be missionaries themselves. This is how it works. But for some reason... Ephraim Goldberg and his followers think that they're above this. And the face of Judaism is at risk. It's not at risk because of Ephraim Goldberg alone. It's at risk because no one wants to speak against this. No one wants to go and take this elephant down. No one wants to deal with this in any way, shape, or form, and definitely not publicly. Which means that since this is multiple times that Ephraim has done it and other people have followed him, if this event happens, the face of American Judaism and perhaps even worldwide Judaism will be changed forever because we will now cancel out the halacha of prohibiting us from allowing these people to enter our synagogues, allowing these people to speak to us in any way, shape or form, and in fact, the exact opposite will be permitted. You're going to start seeing Hashem Yishmo, and I don't even want to say it, but I have to just so I give you guys the illusion of what it looks like. You're going to have different Jewish communities start inviting pastors, ministers, and all types of other missionaries. Come speak to the synagogue. Open the Jewish events to the massive public, including to the church. And you're going to have not just the speaker on stage be a missionary, but all of his minions, all of his disciples in the crowd enter Jewish communities by the hundreds. Rabotai Karim, these papers that they publish themselves are not hiding. They're out in the open. This is not something you find in some archive. This is not something that you find in some uh, hidden closet. This is public knowledge. This is public knowledge in the missionary world that they simply tell everybody, this is the plan of how to missionize Jews. Make events, have them invite you. Pay for it. Don't worry. The, uh, the seed has been planted. Make sure those Jews are on a newsletter. Make sure those Jews hear from us. Make sure you go visit them. Make sure you give them. And do whatever you can and the church spends hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars specifically targeting the Jews. They don't care about the 8 billion people that are in the world. They care about the 14 million according to this report. The 14 million Jews 
that are in the world and they know exactly where those millions are. They have a census in the paper. They have a, instructions in the paper. They have ideas in the paper. They have theology in the paper. They have answers in the paper. They have rationale for all of those people that say don't missionize the Jews. They have an answer for them in the paper also. They have everything in this paper for the missionary to be as zealous as Mario Bremnik, who is a genius when it comes to missionizing, but is going to have an endless genome after this world and this life ends. When you bring a Jew to Christianity, you're in essence committing spiritual murder forever. Mario Bramnik doesn't believe this because he believes in a different God. He thinks it's the same God, but it's not. You see, Rabotai Karim, their belief and our belief cannot coexist in peace. We can coexist as people, but not as religions. Our religion is contrary to theirs. We can't both be right. We cannot both be right. This is something that our sages were very proud of and very adamant about. And guess what? The evangelicals, they're also saying the same thing as our sages. That their religion and our religion cannot coexist. One of us has to be right. Surely they think they are. They think that these events, these United for Israel events, the Zionism events, the targeting intermarried couples specifically events, these are ways for them to save us. They believe they're doing good. The missionary that called me today and left me a two and a half minute message asking me if I'm willing to talk to him because he wants to tell me about all the wonderful things that he saw because he believes in Jesus. He thinks he's doing good. I deal with these crazy people every single day, Rabotai. You can call me a lot of things. A liar, I'm not. You see, if this event goes through, the face of American Judaism is going to change forever. It's going to be the end of an era. It's going to be an end in such a way that we're going to regret that we didn't do enough. How to put this an end to this event? I don't have a simple solution. What I think is that every person that lives in that community needs to boycott the event and do whatever they can to get it to get canceled. Even having Bramnik not show up, which is impossible, is not enough. Why? Because there's other people that are from his team that are coming too. And anyway, the audience, as I said, the audience themselves are just uh, more dangerous than he is. Now, of course, this is probably not going to be feasible in people's minds. Like, wait, this all the event's only a couple of days. We already have this. We already have that. I understand. I understand it's a logistical nightmare. But if the community doesn't do anything about it, you're going to have a very, very serious problem in your hands. And I deal with kids that have left Judaism, have left Yeshiva, have left Yiddishkeit, and have adopted foreign beliefs. 
Many of them have adopted into Christianity. Many of them have doubts because of Christianity. Many of them delved into Christianity and know more about Christianity than they know about Judaism. And getting them out of that Tum'ah is very difficult. Perhaps Ephraim doesn't have any experience in that world because he doesn't even know how to save himself. But I deal with those people. And it's not easy. It's not just sending him a lecture and good luck to you. It doesn't work that way. People that leave Judaism go into a very, very deep hole before they ever even look back to see perhaps if they went in the wrong direction. And what Ephraim doesn't realize is that he's putting in jeopardy millions of people, not thousands. It's not just his community. The ignoramuses that are supporting him, some that call themselves rabbis, saying we're proud of Ephraim. That's because they have the same warped ideology, not realizing that it's very likely that their own kids will marry Christians. Just like their role model, Mendelssohn, from a couple of hundred years ago, who said, be a, uh, a Jew at home, but a mensch outside. Be a regular person outside. There is no such thing in Judaism. It's either you're a Jew all the time, or you're simply not a Jew. All of those people that are Jew in their heart, in Shemaim, it doesn't. it's not considered that way. If a Jew doesn't observe the Torah, a Jew does not observe Shabbat, a Jew doesn't observe the Torah and the mitzvot. He's not considered, halachically Jewish, he's considered an idol worshiper. And our job, because we love those people, is to save them. Save them from their own mistakes. Get them back to observing Shabbat. Not to abandon them, not to let them go to Christianity, and also not to appease them by telling them it's okay for you not to observe Shabbat. God loves you anyway. Because that would simply be a lie. It's like telling a cancer patient, don't worry, everything is going to be okay, even if you don't get any treatment. Anyone that's normal, that has a brain in their head, knows that when there is a problem, there has to be something to solve it. There has to be something to solve it. And a person that ignores the solution is simply a suicidal person. Ephraim Goldberg is about to commit murder-suicide spiritually for an entire community by inviting hundreds of Christian missionaries into his community, being led by one particular Jew that already left Judaism and has made it his life's goal to missionize Jews. He specifically says that he speaks to Orthodox rabbis who believe the Messiah is around the corner. Perhaps that Orthodox rabbi is Ephraim, since Ephraim knows him for at least 10 years. He says that when you speak to Jews, you have to know how to speak to them. Why? Because you have to know how to missionize to them. He's not shy. He's not hiding his missionizing. But for whatever reason or another, when it comes to this particular issue, many people have become humble. Many people have become quiet. Many people have become weak. And this is a very, very serious danger. I know that the naysayers will say that, exaggeration, they'll even call me 
a dangerous person that I'm going to lead to anti-Semitism. They can do whatever they want. But nobody fights for the Jewish people, whether he knows them or not, whether he benefits for them or not, whether they like him or not, as much as we do, in the open, without feeling any sense of shame. Because we know that there are idiots out there that are leading the people astray. Sometimes those idiots are rabbis. Sometimes those idiots are rabbis that should know better because their own community has several people that have already adopted Christianity and they know about it. And instead of helping those Jews come back to Judaism, they support their Christian beliefs instead. You see, Rabotai, what's about to happen in the next couple of days cannot be, cannot be something we just live through and say, ah, we'll pray for a better day. Judaism is about to change because no one is speaking out against this other than myself. Rabbi Mizrahi spoke about it a little bit. That's pretty much it. A few other people spoke about it with, without mentioning a name. Why? They're afraid of hurting somebody. They're afraid of causing a machloket. People are afraid to, to say names. Thousands of Jewish lives are at risk, but we're still afraid. This is a disaster. This is a good trait used in a bad way. You see, what Ephraim doesn't realize is that his synagogue is constantly compared to a JCC or Jewish Federation to host such events. The problem is that if you want to be Orthodox, it can't be. Because a Kadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want a place of worship to be treated like a party center. He told the prophet Jeremiah, before he destroyed the Bet Migdash in chapter 7, verse number 11, As this temple, upon which my name is proclaimed, become a cave of criminals in your eyes. When you use a place that is supposed to be a place where you learn Torah, where you pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a Bet Mikdash Katan, to have such events that mock Hashem and His belief, that put on the stage people that have foreign beliefs, put idol worshippers on the stage and in the crowd, you're turning your entire community, you're turning your entire synagogue into a house of criminals. Even though God's name's in it. And unfortunately, we can't say, oh, God will help. Because it's not for God to help us in our own stupidity. David Melech, the Midrash Rabbah says in a... Um, Parashat Vaishlach, in Parashat 75, section 1, that David Melech 
says multiple times in Tehilim, Kuma Hashem, rise, O God, rise. He tells Hashem to rise, rise and fight the wicked people, to desecrate your name. Rise for this and rise for that. Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu to David HaMelech, David my son, although you've asked me to rise multiple times, I will not rise. I will not rise until the poor are being robbed and the helpless are being abused. This will happen at the end of days. What does it mean that the poor are being robbed and the helpless, the helpless are being abused? What does it mean? Of course, it has the literal meaning. You can have a lot of horrible things at the end of days. Government officials, all types of people, positions of power, taking advantage of the poor people. This is not a new thing. Kadosh Baruch saying there's going to be something new at the end of days. Something new at the end of days that's going to cause Kadosh Baruch to finally get up and fight the wicked. What is it? When you have leaders that instead of feeding the Jewish people their holy Torah, the Torah of life, people that are poor, spiritually poor, they want the truth. They want the truth. They want to do tshuva. They want to come back to HaKadosh Baruch They just don't know how. They don't know where. What do they see? They see a post. Oh, there's an event in a synagogue. Oh, let's go to the synagogue. There's an event for Hanukkah, for Purim, for United Israel. Let's go to the event. And instead of being offered Torah, instead of being offered Kedusha, Instead of being offered the emet, what are they offered? A Christian missionary. A poker tournament. Or some other form of chilul Hashem. That's what they're going to be offered. That's when HaKadosh Baruch Hu rise. When those wicked leaders make what Ephraim is doing standard, that's when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is unfortunately going to rise and put an end to it. But it's not going to be a pretty end. It'd be much prettier if we put an end to it. It'd be much prettier if he didn't need to rise because we had better leaders that spoke out against these things, that didn't bring the Jewish people to such a low level that were viewed as poor people that are being robbed and helpless people that are being abused. You see, Rabbi Karim, what we have here is a disaster in the making with almost nothing that can be done. Almost nothing that can be done unless everybody gets involved. People that live in that community need to protest. People that don't live in that community need to protest. Rabbis need to make a statement. Big ones, small ones, and everyone has to make it public. No more private calls, no more private statements, no more modesty, no more, you know, 
Hey, let's try to keep it uh, civil. No more. Why? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Those civil conversations don't work. Those nice exchanged emails don't work. They simply don't. Is that going to happen? I don't know. What I do know is that world Jewry is in danger. And the next time I talk to you guys, we're either going to be celebrating that HaKadosh Baruch Hu came to save us, or we're going to be mourning together that we've started officially a new age. An age where this type of stuff has become acceptable. An age where we all know this is officially the end. The end where there's not going to be anything to rely on. Just like the Gemara says in Masechet Sota. When the last page, page 49, where it says that in a period that precedes the coming of Mashiach, Insolence will increase, cost will soar, vine will yield its fruit, yet the wine will be dear. The government will turn to heresy, and there shall be no rebuke. An erstwhile meeting place of sages will be used for harlotry. The Galilee will be destroyed, and the Galvin desolate. The people who dwell on the borders will wander about from town to town, but they will not be succored. And the wisdom of scribes will decay. Those who dread sin will be despised. The truth will be absent. Youth will blanch the faces of elders. Elders will stand in the presence of minors. The son derides his father, a daughter rises against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies are the people of his own household. And the face of the generation is going to be like the face of a dog. A son will not be abashed in the presence of his father. And upon what? Upon what then can we lean on at this time? Only upon our Father in Heaven. These are some of the prophecies that we're seeing with our own eyes happening in the world today. Perhaps the Boca Raton Synagogue will exclude itself from these prophecies if they cancel the event or include itself and be one of the highlights of those prophecies. Only HaKadosh Baruch knows. But I do know that the next time that we talk, it's going to be a very big day. I really hope and I pray that enough is going to be done in the next 24 hours to entice enough people to take control of their own neshama and not let anybody else Ruin it for them. Don't think that you're smarter than the Satan. Don't think that you're smarter than the Satan's servants in the church. 
They have a plan much better than yours, much more organized than yours, much more well-funded than yours. Their people are prepared to missionize. Their people are funded to do it too. We have Hashem. And that's the only way we can win. If we stick to Hashem. One of the ways of sticking to Hashem is keeping ourselves and our children separate from them. Separate. We don't have to hate them. We don't have to fight them. But we do have to be separate from them. When those lines become blurry and you find yourself inviting people that have foreign beliefs and in fact beliefs that are predatory to yours and you find yourselves that you are constantly socializing with these people you my friend are in danger and if you don't realize it it's perhaps too late in the world of gambling the avdil everybody thinks that when they step into the room and they sit on a table they're gonna win but one of the most important things that a gambler needs to know is who's the best and who's the worst who's the best is important because you need to know who to stay away from who's the worst because you need to know who to target if you can't figure out who the worst one is then you're it we're playing a game that the church already started a few decades ago they have forums they have extraordinarily large organizations endless material and literally a belief system a belief system that this is an obligation of every one of them to do to missionize Jews for anyone to believe anything else it's not about disagreeing with me it's simply about going to all of the 80 or so million evangelical Christians and telling them none of you know what you're talking about about your own beliefs perhaps you can say they don't know what they're talking about our Torah but you can't tell them they don't know what they're talking about in regards to their beliefs but unfortunately some people in the Jewish world are so arrogant that they think that they know more about Christianity than the Christians this is the most bizarre thing in the world but nonetheless they think that and this is why it's a sad sad day for me because I know that most people are gonna view this and do nothing because they think it's just gonna go away they think they're not gonna be affected by it because they live somewhere else because they live in a different place a different community with a different mentality but if this happens it'll affect all of us
some more, some less. But it will have an impact on all of Am Yisrael. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Rambam writes, Can there be a greater stumbling block than Christianity? Can there be a greater stumbling block for Jewish people than Christianity? Um, um, people ask me, how do you minister to Jewish people? And it depends on who you minister to. They're all different. But, but, but in, in, in some Messianic circles, they don't want to say cross. So they say tree. And yes, okay, that's fine. But my scripture says it's the power of the cross. It's the power of God to salvation to the Jew first. You're going to bring people to face Christianity in a synagogue? a place where they think that anybody that's speaking must be a kosher person and you're going to bring them the greatest stumbling block that exists in the world?